This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast. Because marriage without maintenance will break. I am your happily married host, Jason Parham. Together, we're learning how to make marriage and love better. Today's topic is why and how you should have a me first marriage. So here we go. For notes and references, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash me. I dropped the phone on my bed. It was late and something had just snapped inside of me. I'm letting go of my phone, but tonight I'm actually letting go of something much bigger. It had taken me almost a year to get to this point, but I'm here now trying to make sense of how I feel. I had just said something that at one time I wondered if I would ever be able to say. I didn't know what would happen next, but right now it doesn't matter because everything had just changed. I buried the hurt from everyone, and now it was coming back out. And I knew once I said what I was going to say, I could never take it back. So I paused for a moment. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and I just let the words come out. It took all the courage I could muster, but I finally did it. In that moment, I let go of me. I let go of my past. I let go of everything I was holding on to that made me feel safe. It was like stepping off a cliff and not knowing where I would land. Just a few minutes earlier, I had slowly picked up the phone and punched in the number. My heart was racing and my hands were sweaty as I listened to the ringing tone on the other end. The topic of the conversation It wouldn't really matter this time. Only the last phrase. And I kept repeating that phrase to myself in my head the whole time. When her voice picked up, I stumbled through the conversation for a while. Then I just said it. It was three little words that I knew would change me forever. I said, I love you. And the response from the other end still echoes in my mind. 17 years later, I love you too. I gave in to love, and love gave in to me. Author C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. This is why and how you should have a me-first marriage. So here's a table of contents. Why should you have a me-first marriage? Because there cannot be two without one first. Because love is ultimately a self-focused emotion. And a team is only as good as its members. So how do you have a me-first marriage? 
Take time to focus on your personal well-being. Evaluate yourself periodically. And make personal time for yourself. There cannot be two without one first. Okay, get ready for this one. Marriage is like a tango dance. When we were little, my sister and I would fight and then blame each other for starting it. It's one of those things kids do. And my mother, the ultimate referee between her fights, would say this old phrase that she always said, it takes two to tango. What she meant by that was, it takes two people to fight. Just like it takes two people to perform a tango dance. But marriage is like a lifelong tango dance. You hold each other tightly and maneuver through the rhythm of life together. You must have a partner to tango. You can't just go solo. You have to have a lover to love. You have to be lovable to be loved. The dance of love can only begin when two lovers find each other. And it's each other that draws out the passion of love. When two individuals merge in the dance of love, it's the individual parts that actually make it work. You have to do your part. I have only seen the tango dance on movies. I've never seen it in real life, and I've never done it myself. In fact, if I try to do this with my wife, it probably would not end well. She would probably get hurt. I would probably just step all over her toes. I'd probably knock her over. There's no telling how that would end. But I do know that you have to do your part in order to make it work. There's like a lead and a follow. So the expression of your individual self within the love relationship keeps the dance of love going. What I'm saying is you must maintain the you part in your relationship in order for your love to work. The steps of a tango are planned in advance. So you both have to know how to do this dance in order for it to work. Marriage depends on two people to make it work. So you have to be involved in your marriage if it's going to work. That's why it's so important for you to focus on you. Because if you can't do your part in love, the love relationship will not work properly. So you have to be deliberate about taking care of the you part in your marriage. So it's like in the tango of love in your life, as you dance with your lover, you lose yourself. But at the same time, you have to keep yourself in order for that dance to continue. In marriage, two individual lives join together. And the key is the word individual. Your individuality makes your love work. You know, before you were married, it was just you. But now it's the two of you. The individuality that you bring into the marriage relationship is what makes it so special. You meet someone because you have something in common, but you fall in love because of differences between the two of you. For example, when I met my wife, we met in church because that's something we have in common. We have faith in common. But I fell hopelessly in love with her because of things that she had that I didn't. She has this beautiful smile that changes the entire atmosphere of a room. She's kind, loving, 
and can carry on a conversation. I'm none of that. But I love those things about my wife. Those individual traits are what make love so wonderful. Two people with separate lives join those lives together in this ultimate fulfillment of love is in the lifetime commitment of marriage. Love is the driving force that brings you together. Love starts out as this abrupt emotional collision. It's like the big bang of life when you love someone so much that your lives collide in this like incredible explosion of passion. It's a love that is so intense that you lose yourself in it. And the thing is, you keep losing yourself for a lifetime. But the truth is, becoming lost in love makes you better as an individual. So you never really lose the you in losing yourself in love. Instead, you change into a better version of you. Love is designed to make the individual who's in love better. So loving your spouse is, in essence, like an improvement on yourself. Love is its own math. So get this. One in love with the other makes one. One individual life plus one individual life makes one. But in the formula of love, you never really lose the individual ones. You and your spouse join together and make one love together. But you cannot make the one love together without the one and the one. I hope that makes sense, but I'm trying to express to you that your individual person in the love relationship is extremely important. But I didn't just make all this up. The two becoming one flesh principle is from the Bible. It goes all the way back to the beginning of life as we know it. So God made Adam, the first man, with all his personal characteristics. Then God made Eve, the first woman, with all her personal characteristics. Then he put them together and the sparks begin to fly. The marriage covenant is what makes you one. In the beginning, God made them one in a covenant between him and them. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In Matthew 10, verse 6 through 9, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh, so that they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So there's a covenant. What God hath joined together. And again in Ephesians 5.31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So God makes the two of you one based on a promise that you make between him and your spouse. The act of marriage is what makes you one. You don't lose the individual you. Instead, it's like a merging of the individual you with the other individual that you fall in love with. Maintaining you is maintaining your relationship. If you don't take care of yourself, 
you are not honoring your part of the marriage covenant. There cannot be two if you are not taking care of yourself. Together, you make one in the marriage covenant. But you have to have the you in order to have the two to make one in the covenant. So by taking care of yourself, you are loving your spouse. So by taking care of you, you are giving your spouse the best version of you possible. And this is not just the giving on your wedding day at the wedding altar, but this is a giving throughout the course of your marriage. Marriage is like giving a gift to someone you love. It's like every day you are wrapping the gift of you and giving that gift to your spouse. And that you that you're giving to your spouse, it should be the best gift that you can give. So what kind of gift are you giving your spouse if you're not even taking care of that gift? I remember shopping for an engagement ring for my wife. I never realized how complicated engagement rings were. I just thought you went and picked out an engagement ring. Oh no, there are all sorts of shapes and cuts and sizes and different types of rings you can buy. I asked a mutual friend to do some snooping for me. When I found out what she wanted from my friend snooping, then I saved up and bought her like the best ring that I possibly could. Because this is like a symbol of my love for her. You should treat the gift of you like it's worthy of the love that you have for your spouse. It makes me think about the gift that Jesus gives to me. He gives the gift of love, and it's the best version of himself. He lived a perfect life, and he gave that life for me. The Bible says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Titus 2.14. In Christ's love relationship with me, he gives me the absolute best version of him, that is possible. And it's like an amazing version, right? His side of the love that he has for me is absolutely amazing. But your love with your spouse should be like that. You love your spouse so much that you want to give the best of you to them. You have to maintain that gift to make it a gift that's special. So why should you have a me first marriage? Because there cannot be two without one. But not only that, But you should have a me-first marriage because love is ultimately a self-focused emotion. I have the idea in my head and it makes sense to me, but it's hard to convey. So you may have to listen a little more closely to get what I'm saying. A couple of weeks ago in our marriage class, we went around and we took turns finishing this sentence. I knew I loved my spouse when. There was a couple of reoccurring themes from everybody. And one of those themes was how your spouse made you feel at a certain time. It brought you to the point of loving them. It's like my story. I realized that I loved my wife when I knew that she was not going anywhere. But it was all about how she made me feel. That's because at its core, romantic love is really self-focused. There's a danger in selfish love. So you fall in love because of what you get from being in love. And you fall out of love when you stop getting what made you fall in love in the first place. You know, all the bitterness and anger of a broken love, it can be summed up in one phrase. I stopped getting. So love is about what you get, but real love is also about what you give. 
There have been countless lovers who have fallen hopelessly in love with each other, but they've fallen in love with what they're getting instead of what they're giving to the relationship. So the love stops when the getting stops. We call it different things like the honeymoon is over, but the truth is it's as simple as your primal desire to just get. And when you stop getting, you stop loving. If your love is tied to getting, then your love will stop when you stop getting. But if your love is tied to giving, it will keep going even when you're not getting. So there is such a thing as a healthy, self-focused love. Love is really about what you get out of it. But what you get out of it is what you get through giving. And the reward is the love that you get back in return. It's also the feeling that giving in love provides. By bringing pleasure to my spouse, I am bringing pleasure to me. Love is an action and a noun. The action part is you giving the love. And the noun part is you getting the love. Listen to this. Even the gospel includes a self-focused aspect. So here it goes. In love, Jesus gave his life for you. But in return, he gets you. So he gives love with the potential reward of getting you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. His giving includes the potential reward of love in return. So do you get the self-focused aspect of love? That even Jesus, who's the ultimate giver in love, has a motive that is ultimately self-focused. That motive was the joy in getting you. Love and marriage is the same way. Ultimately, the focus is what you get in return. So you're giving in your love, but there's a self-focused aspect in it that you're getting something too. So you should have a me first marriage because there cannot be two without one first. Love is ultimately a self-focused emotion and a team is only as good as its members. The team of marriage. You and your spouse are a team that works together to like meet each other's needs and ultimately as Christians is to make disciples for Jesus. But the team cannot work without both of you participating. So the you in love becomes important to the team of marriage. Michael Jordan is one of the greatest basketball players of like all time. When he played basketball, I mean, he looked like he was just floating through the air. And it was like he could make any shot he wanted. It was just incredible. And what made his game so incredible was the better the competition. It's like the better he got. But the problem was his team... The Chicago Bulls were awful until one day he realized that all the defensive attention, all the people trying to guard him and keep him from scoring, guess what? Left his teammates open. So he started passing the ball to them. They ended up winning a record like six NBA basketball championships. But that's what a team is. Sharing the load and working together. So one person can't make your marriage what it should be. That is why it's so important for you to provide the player that the team in your marriage needs. 
And there is a Bible principle to back this up. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? Animals were yoked together to create more power, like to operate a plow. But God says an unequal yoke with an unbeliever and a believer won't work. Because that yoke is not an even yoke. In the same way, if you are not being the best you in your marriage that you can be, you are creating a yoke relationship that is not what it should and could be. So if you're not doing your part in marriage, your marriage is not what it should and could be. Your marriage cannot work the way that God designed it without you being in the yoke with your spouse and working together. God designed marriage to be two individual people working together to meet each other's needs. And as Christians, ultimately, it's to make disciples for him. It starts with your family, and then it moves to other people. After like a decade of holding out, I finally published a book called Full Assurance. It was really hard to put this out because it's like making myself completely vulnerable about faith that I had struggled with. But I printed it because I know if I can help you with assurance, then you can become a bold witness and make disciples for Jesus. I'm currently writing a marriage book because I know if I can help you with your marriage, instead of having to focus on your marriage, you can focus on making disciples for Christ. So there's a Bible principle of teamwork. So we've seen why you should have a me first marriage. Now let's look at how to have a me first marriage. This is how you do it. You take time to focus on your personal well-being. Be deliberate in taking care of yourself. When you're single, it's easy to take care of yourself because you're really the only one you have to take care of. But then when you get married, you have a spouse to take care of. And then when you have kids, you have the kids to take care of. Somewhere in all of this, you get lost in there. But you have to remember that you are an important part of your marriage relationship. And you need to take care of yourself. Now, there are some things that are out of your control. So I'm not focusing on those things. I'm talking about the things that you can control instead. So there are three parts of you that need attention in order to be the best you that you can be. If you'd like to look at this more closely, just check out our notes online, fixerupperemarriage.org slash me. So the first thing you need to take care of, and not necessarily in this order, but there's your body which is your physical health. So God gave you a body to share with your spouse and you shouldn't neglect it. You should do your best to take care of that body that God gave you. Then there's your soul. And that includes your will, your mind, and your emotions. So you have to consider that part of your well-being. If you're not in a good place, you can't be good for your spouse. And then there's a spirit. Now, the spirit is your relationship with God. This is the part of you that's like dead until you put your faith in Christ. Now you're able to communicate. Now you're able to talk to God because your spirit has been made alive because you put your faith in Christ. If you can't be a Christian to your spouse, you can't be to anyone else. So there's a body, soul, and spirit. It's like the whole person of yourself that you have to take care of. This principle is what's taught in the Bible. People say 
man is created as a triune being. That's what they mean. Body, soul, and spirit. God created you with three parts. And that last part, or really I should say the first part, is to be able to connect with him. That's the spirit. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And even though the spiritual part is definitely, in my opinion, the most important part, you should not neglect the other parts. The spiritual man comes first, but that's not an excuse to neglect your body and your soul. God made you, and he intends for you to be healthy. So you have to have a balance in your life. Develop a plan to take care of yourself. So you take these three parts of you, And then you write down an action plan with goals to improve yourself. Maybe you don't have to write it down. Maybe you can just remember these things. But sometimes it helps to write things down. So I'm going to use example from my personal life. I'm going to put myself out here and use myself as an example and give you a real-time picture of what's going on with me. So first off, body. Okay, I have this problem that I just don't feel healthy right now. So I have a plan. Okay, what am I doing? I am trying to drink more water and less soda, right? I think that would probably help out a lot. I'm eating smaller servings, so I'm not stuffing myself with food. And I'm trying to get some form of exercise every day, even if it's just a step outside for a few minutes and walk around. And then I have a goal. So my goal is to lose 20 pounds and feel better within the next six months. I think I can do that. What do you think? I I think I can. So I'm starting with my body and I've got a problem. Identify the problem. That's the way you fix it. And you come up with a plan. So you have to have a plan. It's not just enough to know, you know, I am not healthy. You have to have a plan and then you have a goal that you're trying to reach. All right, so then my soul or my mind, my well-being, my mental well-being, my mental health. I have a problem right now, and that problem is I'm struggling a little bit with stress. So I've identified the problem. So what's my plan? I'm going to start using more checklists and manage my time better. I don't know what it is about checklists, but it really helps me to see what I need to do because I forget everything. And then it also helps me see what I've accomplished. I can check those things off as I do it. So this helps me. So I'm going to try to do that. So what's my goal? Well, my goal is to finish my marriage book by this coming fall. It's like a huge project. But I believe I can do that. And also, I want to become more organized overall. I feel like being more organized overall would help my stress levels a lot. And then finally, my spirit. There's a problem there. Yes, there's a problem. I have all sorts of problems. There's a problem there. I don't feel as close to God as I have in the past. So here's my plan. I'm going to spend, and I am spending, so this is real time. I am spending 15 extra minutes in reading my Bible and praying every day. So I believe that's going to make a huge difference in my spiritual life. On top of whatever else I do, I'm taking 15 minutes extra every day to try to work on that spiritual part of my well-being. And my goal, of course, is to feel close enough to God that I could talk to him anytime throughout my day. So that's my goal. 
sometimes I am that way, but lately not so much. So I'm trying to get back to that point. You identify the problem, you have a plan and your goals. So your problem, your plans and your goals are probably totally different from mine, but that's okay. But make them realistic for your circumstances. If you have work and family responsibilities, like reading through the entire Bible in a month may not be very realistic. But whatever you do, have a plan on making you better and making you better will change your marriage. And I have an illustration. You can see it on the website or the show notes. But it's the the healthy balance. There's your spiritual well-being. And then there's your physical and emotional well-being. So there has to be a balance in your life. So even though the spiritual well-being is the most important part, you have to have a balance in your life because God created you to have that balance. So have a healthy balance. So how to have a me first marriage? Take time to focus on your personal well-being and evaluate yourself periodically. Ask yourself questions about taking care of your body, your soul, and your spirit. If you give yourself an occasional checkup, you can identify things in your life become before they become a problem and impact your marriage. It's like going to the doctor, which I would highly recommend for your physical well-being anyway, right? I mean, you go to the doctor. I may go to the doctor and find out that my cholesterol is high. So I need to make some changes in my eating, right? Like not eat the entire bag of potato chips every day. And this way it helps me get that cholesterol down so that I don't have bigger problems down the road. So by doing a checkup, I can get my health under control before it gets out of control. Now, I told you, there are some things you can't control, and I understand that. But I'm talking about things that you can control right now. Here's another example. By discovering that your relationship with God is suffering, you can make some constructive changes to help that. And in the process, guess what? You will definitely help your marriage. Because being a better Christian makes you a better spouse. Or maybe you realize that you're not in a good place emotionally or mentally. Well, you can make some changes to help. Like stop watching the negative news coverage on TV or the internet. And most of the news is like really negative, right? If you watch that all the time, it's going to affect your mental health, your state of being. Or you can fill your mind with things that are good and pure instead of viewing things that are not. We have social media today, right? It's either really, really good stuff on there or really bad stuff on there. And sometimes the good stuff is not good for your mental health. I look on there and people have like perfect kids on social media. It's like, wow, your kids are perfect. Mine aren't. We're working on some things. But people just put the really, really good stuff in their life and not the everyday mundane things that seem to be the regular for me. Maybe stepping away from things like that And instead, focusing on things that are good and healthy and pure can help your mental well-being and your emotional state help you have a better you and, in consequence, have a better marriage. So there is a Bible principle of checkups. God wants you to give checkups on your well-being. Here's some Bible verses that back it up. Okay, your body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, 
for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, and your soul, Philippians 4, 8. And these are all probably great verses to memorize to help you with your health. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's Philippians 4.8. And the Spirit, James 4.8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How do you have a me-first marriage? Take time to focus on your personal well-being, evaluate yourself periodically, and make personal time for yourself. How about this one? Get a hobby. Now, I know people that like overdo the whole hobby thing. There are men who neglect their marriage for a hobby. They spend money they don't have. They take time away from the family that they should not, and it hurts their marriage. And I'm sure there are women who do the same thing. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who have no hobbies, and it would do them good to have some. Hobbies are like a unique way of expressing your individuality, and that's a good thing in marriage. I'll be honest, I'm not much of a hobby person. I just don't have a lot of hobbies, although I do enjoy writing, but I primarily do that for the ministry. What are some hobbies that you do? Or what are some hobby ideas? Or maybe you can submit some hobby ideas for me. If you will email your hobby ideas to me, I will add these to the notes and other people can see and get some good ideas. You just email me at jason at fixerupermarriage.org and I'll add them to there. And I'm totally against getting yourself in a mess financially to do a hobby. So find something you can afford to do that helps helps you get your mind off things and it helps you to be a balanced person, a healthy person. By having some hobbies and expressing yourself, your own individuality within the marriage covenant. And that's a good thing. It's okay to spoil yourself sometimes. Buy yourself something just for you. It's okay to do something that's just for you from time to time. The biggest part of being a spouse is the giving. But sometimes you just need to take a break and get something sometimes. It will help you to have a break. And it's like you take this break and you have some me time and then you come back into your relationship in a better way, in a better place, and you're able to be a better spouse. So there is a Bible principle of taking time for yourself. So here it is. It's actually found in the Ten Commandments. Yes, it's found in the Ten Commandments. It's the Fifth Commandment. And it's these little words, remember the Sabbath. The people, the Israelites, were instructed to work six days and rest the seventh day. And you can find this if you'd like to look in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. He commanded the nation of Israel to rest for one day out of seven. God even did the same thing when in creation. He created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And it's even clarified by the words of Christ in the New Testament. 
He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's Mark chapter 2 and verse number 27. God created man and woman to have a time of break from all the hassles of life. So just take God's advice and take a break. Serving your spouse and your family is awesome. But without a break, you cannot be the spouse that you need to be. So in summary, why should you have a me first marriage? We said, because there cannot be two without one first. Because love is ultimately a self-focused emotion. A team is only as good as its members, right? And how do you have a me first marriage? Well, first off, you take time to focus on your personal well-being. You evaluate yourself periodically and you make personal time for yourself. Thanks for listening to the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, just visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash newsletter. Remember that God has great things planned for your marriage. So don't miss it.